and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday, the 3rd of April, a brand new month. And managing to get along for the podcast this week, our assistant editor, Steve Withers. Oh, sweet cheese and crackers. And audio reviewer, Ed Selly. I came here to make the world a better place, but I think I broke it. Obviously, April is too big a deal for the two marks, so they are missing this week. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about this week. I mean, uh, should we start on car programmes again, Ed, and bore everybody for the first nine minutes of the podcast? Mm, it does seem to be quite quite a by, a, quite a uh, you know an, an either or thing. You're either all for conversation of that nature, or you actually then try and uh, put push the uh, earphones that you're listening on into the centre of your brain to avoid it. So yeah, we probably sorry. ought to give it a week off. Oh, I think we'll move on because we're doing our best of the month, and I'm sure that a certain car program is going to turn up at some point come the end of the podcast. So we'll leave it at that. So let's move on to competitions, Ed. What can we win? Oh, hold on. Let me restore my uh, running order. Right. Uh, the 4K Ultra HD Premier Collection is still on at the moment. So that includes The Revenant, Kingsman, The Secret Service, Life of Pi, The Maze Runner, Independence Day and Exodus Gods and Kings. Um, that runs until the 17th of April uh, and it's open to all eligible members resident in the UK, Ireland and Isle of Man. Have we had any previous competition winners? Yes. Yes, we do. Um, Paul Quadruple 7X. I don't know how he want that done or even if actually paul quadruple seven x identifies as male but paul quadruple seven x won a man for all seasons on blu-ray so a hearty well done to you yes well done and i'm guessing that you'll need a new tv to watch that one so let's move on to hardware news because we've got lots of new tvs to talk about from hisense steve um a brand which until about three years ago nobody would really heard of um there was initially the opinion that it, it was cheap rubbish um, which people tended to, to think of the brand that way but they've certainly come on the last two years really producing the goods really having some really nice technology within the TVs and really surprising us. Yeah definitely uh, like you say it was actually probably only two years ago that they really entered the UK market in any meaningful way in terms of TVs and, uh, and I think they've come on leaps and bounds over those two years. The first year they showed promise. And I think last year they delivered on that promise uh, with some really good TVs, really well made, high quality, high build quality, great performance and really competitive pricing. Uh, so you couldn't ask for more really out of, out of a TV. And uh, this, is their, this was their first ever European launch event. And uh, I was very lucky enough to go along to Barcelona where they launch not only their TV range, but they also do make white goods as well, so they were doing... And they make mobile phones, believe it or not, which I didn't realise until the, until this week, um, which are quite popular in certain countries, particularly Italy. They're, they're a big brand in Italy in terms of mobile phones, but they also do make uh, washing machines and fridge freezers and that sort of stuff. And TVs, obviously, the reason I was there was to look at the TVs. And they launched their new range for for Europe, but also specifically for the UK. So you're telling me clear on you went all that way and you ignored the white goods? No, no, no. He's he's saying he did blatantly. He looked at the televisions because he was on company time, but then would have wandered over to Potter over the over kitchenware uh, with actual with an actual interest in it. Because I know full well that that's that's as much of an interest for Steve as it is televisions <laughs> and AV gear. So you know he'd have been checking it out. I've got to say it was a great launch because they had this sort of big circular dais in the middle of the room, which everyone was sat on, uh, and there was. Uh, a sort of a, a sort of a range of things behind screen behind covers on one side and a range of things on the other side behind covers and a big screen in front of you uh for the presentations he said oh, this is nice 
the whole thing moved. So like it was like a big big circular, you know, sort of like you know those things you have in Japanese Chinese restaurants that spin around. It was like that, but it moved everyone. So the whole everyone moved around to the left to see the TV presentation and the TVs being shown, and then it moved back the other way to show the uh, white goods. Uh, I did film it, Phil. It was pretty dark though, so I don't know whether it really came out for the video, but um, it was quite cool. Um, and I, I do know an awful lot about white goods now, particularly fridge freezers, because there was a very long presentation with market research by GFK uh, on it. I probably know more than I would like to know about white goods at this point. Oh, you are. You love that sort of shit. They also did a very interesting presentation um, with some interesting market research on uh, on TVs, and particularly the way the TV market's developing, what's happening, and how it's changing over the next few years. And it's something we've talked about past on the, in the past podcast, but uh, they actually went through uh, who were the dominant players in the TV market in the sort of 70s and in, in the 80s. So in the 70s, it was very much regional brands. So you'd have like a UK TV brand and a French TV brand and a German TV brand. Uh, in the 80s, that shifted more to the bigger players, big European names like Philips, Grundig, uh, Ferguson, if you remember them. Uh, then into the 90s, the Japanese became dominant. Hang on, the, the 80s for me was Sony. Sorry, I don't think well, I don't care what anybody else says. It was always Sony. <laughs> 80s into 90s, Sony, Toshiba, Hitachi. I would uh, say Toshiba was uh, a big deal at the same time, Phil. And it was, yeah, it, yeah, it, no, in, no, certainly I'd in televisions, it was a quality equal. I'd agree with you, you know, although Toshi got Toshiba, and I did have one in the 90s, fantastic CRT with great picture quality. So all those all the Japanese TV manufacturers are dominant in the 90s, where are they now? <laughs> in the noughties, we got the Koreans turning up, and then more recently we had people like Vestel and TP Vision, and now the Chinese manufacturers like Hisense and TCL. Um, so there's been, you know, it's, it's been a constant change decade over each decade as, as different uh, manufacturers and countries become more dominant and obviously the message they were putting across is as a Chinese manufacturer was you know look watch out here we come the next 10 years could be dominated by the Chinese brands which I wouldn't I could believe particularly when you consider that China is 70% of the world's, world's population and 21% of the world's TV market yeah but the, so the, even... the other figures though point to it being more expensive to produce the other nowadays and, and a lot of figures are actually pointing at India Steve in terms of yeah but when it comes to the their production to India sorry <laughs> as long as they've got a consumer high sense have got a massive consumer base so if they needed to move their production somewhere else they could do as a company, obviously, as a country, China would want to lose all that production. But yeah, you're right, it is getting more expensive as the country gets richer. And there has been a big move to countries like uh, India and, uh, and Vietnam. Vietnam and yep. Cambodia and those kind of places have picked yep. up. And, slack and is it'll always come down to you know the cost of the labour at the end of the day, the cost to manufacture this stuff. That's why you no longer have the, the European brands being owned by European companies because um, you know it's just not financially viable to make TVs in this country anymore or, or even in Europe. Well, what was I, interesting oh, hang, on, is... hang on, when I say Europe, I mean Western Europe, not Eastern European countries where it is still economically viable. Yes, and uh, funny enough, um, Heisen's just built a massive factory in Poland uh, which can generate, can produce 600,000 units a year. They've also got an R&D um, centre in Germany. They were saying that in terms of growth, Europe, Eastern Europe is where the growth is because the West, Western Europe is largely saturated in terms of TV sales. And interestingly, in China, um, because it's still growing and, and there's still a lot of demand out there, but not just demand, and I know this from having lived out that way, that um, there was a definite mentality of wanting the best. So it's like big screens. Even if you've got a tiny apartment, massive screen. Um, and the top quality ranges and the best features and the, so in terms of not only buying TVs but also buying 4K TVs and HDR TVs and smart TVs, you know, China is is, is a large percentage of that market right now. 
Um, so anyway, that's all very interesting. What, what it leads into is their new range for this year. And um, the they call their range the ULED range, so ultra LED. Um, and the flagship... Why, why, why don't we just call them LCD TVs? <laughs> yeah. It may, it'd make it far easier because that's what it is at the end of the day. I mean, we're, we're past the LED thing now because there's no CCFL backlights anymore, so we're back to LCD TVs again. Yes, the, the ULED range is an LCD panel with an LED backlight. Um, and the flagship is the NU, the NU9, well, there's two. There's the NU9750, which is a 75-inch uh, direct LED TV, L, um, LCD TV. That won't be coming to the UK, actually. But the uh, NU9700, which is a 70-inch direct LED uh, LCD TV, that will be coming to the UK uh, in June. And prices? I do know the prices, but I'm, I can't say. <laughs> All right, you can whisper. However, I can say I can certainly say that they're competitive, and you'll be pleased <laughs> if you're looking to buy a new TV. But yes, I think they're going to be competitively priced when they do reach UK shores. And first, I mean, certainly from what indications I was given for a 70-inch. Ultra HD 4K TV with HDR10, uh, quantum dot. Um, they're talking about nearly, they were claiming nearly 100% of DCI P3, 1000 nits of peak brightness. Uh, it's Ultra HD premium certified. It has Freeview Play. It's got their new VIDA um, smart platform, which is kind of very similar to what's going on these days with launcher bars and various tiles you can move around and having everything in a single place and selecting each thing as an app. So it's their proprietary um, thing, is it? It's not based on Android yes. or anything like that? It's not based on Android. It's their own proprietary um, platform. So they've got all that in this TV, 17-inch uh, screen size, direct LED and local dimming, uh, 126 zones on this one. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's an impressive, you know, for a manufacturer that's only into its third year in the UK market, that's a, that's a cracking flagship tell you to be launching with. Beneath that, they have the NU8700 range, which is the slimmer um, design with edge LED lighting. Um, again, local dimming. Uh, I think that's got uh, 12 zones, so it's got a small number of zones because it's using edge LED lighting. So what it'll do is it'll have um, the zones going across or down, depending on where the LEDs are. I think they're along the edges. And that's, again, Ultra HD Premium Certified. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, to get that certification, it has to have at least 90% of DCI-P3. has to be able to hit a peak brightness of um, 1,000 nits on a 10% window. And, and other than that, it's got all the same features that are on the NU9700 as well in terms of in the smart platform and everything else, free you play, that sort of stuff. It's got Netflix, of course, and Amazon, and they do 4K and HDR. So I mean, everything you could want from a modern TV. Uh, and then they come in 55 and 65-inch screen sizes, and beneath that they've got their sort of um, their kind of mid-range uh, 4K TVs, which is the NU6800 range. And that comes in a range of sizes from 49 to, to I think actually that one goes up to 70 inches. Uh, and the 70-inch one, and, a, and they use direct LED as well. Oh, no, there's a, there's a slim, so they, they have edge LED lighting. It's the one below that, it's, um, the 5700 range, which actually has direct LED lighting again. Um, and, um, yeah, again, the, the, the so most of the features do trickle down through the entire range. Obviously, the lower ranges aren't Ultra HD Premium certified and don't get as high in terms of peak brightness for HDR, but they do all support HDR10. Um, they will be an HLG. Uh, it wasn't officially announced, but I was told uh, um, you know, behind the scenes that there will be uh, an HLG upgrade coming, over, you know, um, firmware update coming in the near future. So it will support that as well. No mention of Dolby Vision, if anyone's thinking about that. And obviously, these TVs do not support 3D, but they dropped 3D last year along with um, some of the manufacturers like Samsung. 
Um, but yeah, I, I thought that they looked they looked attractive. They looked um, certainly. I, I know from experience from last year that the build quality on these. You, know, you might think, well, cheap TVs. They're really well made, um, really solid. I mean, some of the man- models last year were, you know, metal construction, metal rear panels. I mean, they weighed a ton, but they were really well made. Uh, and I think that uh, that kind of level of quality, build quality, as coming through to this year, judging by the panels that I saw at their launch. And uh, yeah, I remain impressed by. High sensors ambition, and uh, if they can continue to deliver the way they did last year into this year, I, I think um, people will be pleasantly surprised. There's the, some interesting. Sorry, the the uh, obviously I sat through the CES High Sense press conference, and they they had a specific section on um, that they were taking an approach used um, more commonly with bits of audio equipment and pe- oddly pieces of furniture, where they take a decision to take a punt on making a much larger number of higher quality fixings and components which they can then use across more ranges and just basically gamble that the economy of scale takes the pricing of those items down but it gives the more expensive the, the more affordable units a sort of more quality feel as a result it's interesting that you've actually sort of feel that that's the case once you've got hands on because I was only looking at pictures of them I do, I do think that, and the M7000, which was their sort of flagship last year, was a particularly well-made TV. I, I put it up against any other manufacturer's TV. I mean, like I say, the only downside was it weighed a ton, but uh, build quality-wise, you couldn't knock it. Have they taken on board the feedback with Gamma? Because that's the one area where there has been no control of the picture quality. No, there's no Gamma control. That is the, that is a definite. I mean, uh, I think the first year that we reviewed them, they, they were that was all over the shop, wasn't it, Phil? It was better last year, although, again, there was no way to select different gammas. Yeah, it was 2.6, um, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Um, this year, uh, yeah, we're interested to see how they deliver gamma this year in terms of whether it's A, more accurate out of the box, and B, whether you can actually select different gammas. Because that was the, the only one area where they, they did slip up, really, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Was, was yeah, because the first year, their, their colours were a bit oversaturated, well, more than a bit, <laughs> very oversaturated. I think they were struggling. They were using, you know, wider colour gamuts, but struggling to contain them, particularly for uh, Rec. 709 content. Um, that was something that they definitely improved on last year. There was, they were a lot more accurate out of the box, and you could calibrate them very accurately um, for Rec. 709. And it, and it did actually track, in HDR mode, the, it tracked the PQOTF quite accurately. Um, that was actually quite impressive, even though they weren't that bright. So they didn't, weren't getting those sort of thousand nits kind of thing. Within the limitations of their own peak brightness, they were actually tracking very well and tone mapping very well. So... Yeah, I mean, like I say, they've, they've improved year on year in the two years we've been reviewing them, and I'll be interested to see how far they take things this year. Good stuff. So uh, that's that's high sense. Let's move on to the cinema. So for well over 100 years now, we've had projected images on a white screen or a silver screen. Um, the screen has changed a little bit over the years, depending on what fad was around at the time, whether it was extra brightness or wideness or 3D or whatever. Uh, but cinema, Steve, has basically stayed the same for quite a long time now and we're going to get onto a conversation which I have no doubt is going to mirror the conversation we had a few weeks back when we were talking about 24 frames a second and uh, higher frame rates and should we be moving into a more uh, future-like world. Well, this week was Cinecon uh, over in the States. It's where all the cinema providers get together and they announce new projectors and all that kind of thing and Samsung dropped a LED cinema screen which is made up of uh, numerous panels, so it's not just one big panel. Um, interestingly, it's 
it's kind of the same technology that Sony was showing off at CES, Steve, with their C-LED. You know, lots of lots of 32-inch, 42-inch size screens all put together to create a, a, a bigger viewing experience. Now, obviously, Sony are using that for commercial signage, uh, but Samsung here launching this screen as a alternative to a projected image in a cinema, which I suppose has a few benefits and a few downsides. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously addressing the one thing we've talked about in previous podcasts, which is that, you know, with a projected image, you're never going to be able to deliver those kind of high peak bright, peak highlights that uh, you associate with HDR on a TV. Um, obviously, if you're going to make a cinema screen out of a load of TV panels, then that is one way of addressing that particular um, limitation of, of the projected image. You can bypass it and use these panels to deliver. I mean, they, they were talking about, what, 500 nits, weren't they? They weren't talking about the full thousand, but certainly significantly brighter than you would get out of any projected image, including laser projection. And I guess that's the way they're looking at it, other than as an alternative way of selling <laughs> selling panels. It's uh, a way of addressing the limitations of projected HDR by going for a different approach. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, it comes down to a certain number of factors. I mean, we saw the C-LED uh, display Sony had at... Um, at CES, and I've got to say, it looked bloody impressive. Did you? What did you think of it? Yeah, it looked good, but it's not. It, it's digital signage. Like I say, it's yeah. you know that's its specified use, and that's why they were showing it off. It was one long screen. It it wasn't very high that screen, was it? It was it was only two no, it was screens kind of high, wide, but but a lot wider. So it was used for a you know to give an example of what a commercial signage would look like, and uh, obviously there's a huge market for that. The thing that bothers me about the the cinema screen side of things is i can see a lot of benefits of it it'd, it'd be great for you know up in the brightness you know getting to the the peak levels for hdr presentation and so on but then you're talking about a lot of tv panels all added together now even companies like the bbc who use this technology for the weather screens no two tvs look the same yeah <laughs> when it comes to color uh when it comes to grayscale and if you're going to be using a number of these screens the technology has to work where they are showing one uniform image. So that's my first concern. The other concern is you're going to see the joins. Unless it's done super, super neat, you're going to see the joins between these screens. Hopefully the screen is going to be wider, wide enough in the room that you're not looking at an angle because we know what, what happens with color shift and, and everything else if you start looking at LED screens from the side. But hopefully the screen's wide enough in that room that that wouldn't, wouldn't be an issue. But then you come to the other issues which I would have to see the technology it looks promising but for me as well there's there's this other underlying 24 frames a second type argument which is and I'm going to see it in a Scottish accent you just kind of beat a projected image yeah I mean that's the thing isn't it would it feel like you're you're in a cinema watching a projected image or would it actually feel like you're sat in front of a massive TV because they are two very different experiences aren't they you wouldn't have to worry about the lights being on (laughs) no Um, you're right I I mean Unless until we see actually in action, it's all hypothetical. But um, the joins would be an issue for me personally, depending on, on how far away you're sat and how, how seamless it is, how well the TVs, how well all the TVs are integrated to each other, get the image nice and smooth across them, and trying to get every single panel exactly the same will be difficult. As you say, it's it's very difficult to get all, a bunch of panels to look exactly the same in terms of uh, grayscale and, and colours. So. That that would be another another challenge. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if professional broadcasters who do, you know, two or three bulletins a day on national TV can't get it right, what hope is there for 
the likes of these cinema chains getting it right. Yeah, and they would need to be continually, because they will drift, won't they? They need to be continually um, checked and yeah, recalibrated. Yeah. I mean, and I, I obviously, I, we're, t- we're talking about the downsides, and I don't want to have a downer on this, because I think there are practical ways that this this could become really quite a valuable thing to have in a cinema and it and it 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 would as long as chains were giving you a choice like they do at the minute so you can go and watch an imax or you can go and watch an laser or you can go and just watch a a 2d presentation you don't have to see it in 3d and as long as the choice is still there um it might be an interesting experiment it might be interesting to see exactly how how that technology works but i I believe there wasn't even a, a uh, an on-site demonstration at Cinecon. I think it was just announced that this is what they were going to do. Yeah, and they don't, I mean, unless I missed something, they weren't making it clear. I mean, are they basically just LCD panels with, with you know, with Quantum Dot? Um, or, it, for or from, for actually... what I could take of the materials that I've read, and obviously Mark's done a, a, a news story, the DCI spec'd um, the screen once all the, everything's put together is 34 feet. Um, it's a true 4K, so it's uh, 4096 by 2160. Um, and it uses... I'm trying to see how many screens it uses. I'm uh, very quickly going through this. Um, and I'll kind of see how now, how many there are. I don't know how, how many screens exactly there are, Steve, but uh, certainly the PR that I've seen and the images I've seen, they, um, they, they are separate screens that are joined together to make this 34 foot wide thing. Um, but you know, trying to get the technical detail and so on. Um, as always, it's a it's a bit of PR that's come out with people saying how great it is and all the rest of it. No technical detail in there. Yeah, I mean, because you know, if, if they were using something along the lines of the Sony's um, panels that we saw at, at CES, those are, are kind of derivations of the CES technology that we saw a few years before, where they're using uh, nano LEDs for each pixel, and that was delivering an impressive image. I have to say, if Samsung were going along those lines too with these panels. That that would be interesting in the, in the terms of picture quality, but also in the in the hope that that kind of technology might eventually trickle down to the consumer market in some as as a as a consumer TV, because um, I think you know we've often talked about that. That would be the ability to deliver absolute backs and very high peak brightnesses of thousand up to four thousand nits and wide color spaces is obviously the holy grail as far as TVs go. And whilst um, OLED can deliver the deep blacks and wide color spaces, it struggles with peak brightness. And conversely, if you're looking at an LED LCD television, it can deliver the peak brightness, but it struggles with the with the black levels. And um, so, some something that could do both would be ideal. And if it takes this kind of fashion technology to trickle down into the consumer marketplace, then I guess that would be an interesting development. I'm I'm really interested to see the commercial development sub the consumer at the minute. Um, I want to see this working because I, I I think it does offer a genuine way forward for cinemas. Uh, to get away from the projector, to get away from bulb technology and laser technology and so on, and and start hitting, you know, the brightness levels that, that it needs to hit for a for a modern world. So, you know, there's one side of me that says, you know, 24 frames a second, blah blah blah, and I want to keep it traditional and all the rest of it. But stuff like this does excite me because, like I say, I mean, cinemas are over 100 years old, and you feel like it needs. Something needs to happen. It needs a push from somewhere, and it might not be this technology, but at least Samsung are are, are coming up with a, a different idea, 
Um, and if they start pushing it, you can guarantee that other people like Barco and so on are going to start looking at this kind of technology and how they can uh, change the way that, that we see films. Yeah, I mean, the cinema does need to do something because things are developing so fast in the domestic market at the moment, the consumer marketplace, that um, they're rapidly outstripping what you can see at the cinema, aren't they? In terms of the picture quality you're talking about, you know, for the next couple of years, we're going to be looking at TVs that can deliver, you know, the full DCI P3 color space. They, they can deliver peak highlights going up to maybe up to 4,000 nits, which is what things are being mastered at now for, for, for the home. Um, you're going to have 12 bit through Dolby Vision, things like that. So if you're looking at those kind of developments, that means that theoretically you could be getting a better experience at home than is possible to be delivered at the cinema. And, and yeah. therefore they need to address that and quickly. Yeah. So let's go to the guy that, that, that goes to the cinema on a regular basis. Ed, what's your thoughts? I ha- I, I'm i like the bloke in Futurama. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. I will <laughs> say you're absolutely right in so much as whilst I am an, a relatively undemanding viewer of these things, uh, if it was evident that it was a patchwork quilt of very subtly different performing monitors, that would that would not be good. And I'm pretty no, sure that no. even a fairly undiscriminating audience would get pretty hacked off at that. But I do think that Steve is, onto, is, is, is correct in saying that if there is a technological shortfall in the trad means of cinemas doing things and if this turns out to be cost effective in terms of installation and then in servicing and things like that i can't see it necessarily um you know be proving a non-starter i think he, i think he's right i think there's there's de- there's almost certainly scope for it to be used um and you know as and when i wander to the cinema sometime in the next two to three years it, it might be that that's what i end up looking at who knows yeah, I've got to say I'm not against it. I'm not against any development um, where you know we push this along because, like I say, I mean it's a hundred years now, and where have we gone? We've gone from bulbs to better bulbs to laser tech, and laser tech's just starting to come on. It's freaking on, on lasers. It's it's taken a while to develop, so it'd be nice to see a bit of a push. And like Steve says, yeah. A lot of the time, you are getting a better experience at home. And for somebody that does go to the cinema on a on a regular basis and a decent cinema at that, not not the shed that Steve seems to go to, um, <laughs> no no fault through Steve. Not for much longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got a decent cinema, and I've got to say, even though my my home cinema has some really nice kit in it and it's really good and it's a real performer, there's still something about that space. There's still something about having other people in there, having a nice big space. That's one thing you can't do at home unless you're a millionaire and you can afford to buy a full-sized 200-seat cinema. There's just something about the space as well, um, which adds to the whole thing and adds to the sound and and everything else, which is very, very difficult to capture at home. Um, But you're right. Looking at some cinemas that are just, you know, running to the ground these days, um, the experience at home can be significantly better yeah i think that's probably fair i mean as i say we have to judge this as with so many things at um the level of you know what do cinephiles think what do ordinary members of the public think and if it improves screen serviceability reliability all sorts of things like that you know there's going to be consider- there's always going to be considerations beyond raw raw picture quality so to speak you're you're very right there, Ed. And let's move on to an area where you feel a bit more at home. 
and uh, it is the end of the month, but it's the beginning of the new month. When we record this, it's the end of the month. So as we always do, uh, we like to wrap up the month in terms of what we've seen and what we've heard and, and in your case, Ed, what your favourite album of the month has been, what your vinyl release of the month has been and if anything on uh, playlists on any of the, the uh, streaming services has uh, blown my frock up I was trying to think of something to say there and you've said it perfectly, so on you go Crack right, on. okay, favourite album uh, this is a two way tie uh, two, um, there's elements of similarity to both of these but then also they're in some ways very different as well the first one is um, an album by a group called Ibibio Sound Machine, obviously. Uh, they have been around for a little bit. This is their second album. I'm just going to bring up the actual name of it now because I need to get it right. It's Uyai, U-Y-A-I. Um, and it's a blinding list. It's just, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's not quite world music. It's not quite standard conventional dance music but it's it's a really good listen um it's the reason why it's a two-way split is because the other album uh was released with pretty much no notice at all i'm not 100 percent sure it's out at all properly in the uk yet it's, but it is available on streaming services to have a listen to um and this is a band which has cost me a small fortune over the last few years uh they are a dutch new zealand band called my baby and they cropped up on one of my spotify discover weekly playlists and i thought that's bloody excellent oh i wonder how much it costs to buy that album and the question is it cost quite a lot to buy it on cd or a small fortune to buy it on vinyl because it was only released in the netherlands and belgium but because i'm an idiot i bought it on vinyl and the next one and i've got this one on order as well um this music defies easy description. They dis themselves describe themselves as a sort of hybrid of dance music, Delta blues, and other things. It doesn't. It shouldn't make any sense at all. But I promise you, it's a cracking listen. The new album is called Prehistoric Rhythm, um, and uh, it's it's on Spotify. It's on Tidal. It's on Apple Music. Have a listen, but then also have a listen to the stuff that came before it, because I honestly, honestly think these people deserve a lot more attention than they actually get. They are seriously, seriously good. Um, and there's some really clever, clever things and some and proper musicianship to it as well. So those two tie to be my albums of the month. Uh, vinyl release of the month, because the My Baby album isn't, I, I've, I've got it on order, but it's, as far as I know, it hasn't been released yet. Um is a re-release uh, and it's the last album by Dead Can Dance before they le left the 4AD record label. The album's called Spirit Chaser. It was released about a week and a half ago on vinyl. Like the last album that was released through 4AD uh, Towards the Within, it is just an astonishing um, sort of demonstration of what the format is capable of if you throw enough money and expertise at the problem it is a truly unbelievable sounding record and it's a great album so that would be my vinyl release and then finally playlist uh title comes good on this one uh sort of experience uh influenced by that ibibio sound machine thing they've got an album uh, sorry they've got a playlist called uk afro beats <laughs> Uh, which is, if you like, a beginner's guide to a category of music that I was almost am almost completely unfamiliar with, which is the London-based Afrobeat scene. Uh, it is uh, a 20-track 
playlist uh it lasts a little over an hour my gut feeling is that you're unlikely to like every single track on it that's not how it works but it's an interesting listen and it's got some cracking tracks on it and it should provide a useful jump off to various artists and people if that's your sort of thing okay cool and uh, we'll get you to put all the uh, information for these into the thread so yeah. uh, people can uh, produce at their leisure and go and try things on Tidal or Spotify or whatever before yeah. they buy which is always the advice, try before you buy well yeah that's absolutely That's the, the, it avoids Babylon Zoo syndrome as we call it <laughs> <laughs> alright so uh, next is movie news Right, so, movie news. Um, looks like neither of us have been to the cinema in the past week, Steve. <laughs> looking, looking at the running order here. I know how, staggered well, to learn that neither defense, have I. Not only because the films I wanted to see weren't at the cinema, my local cinema, I mean, um, Life and um, Little Chips. I wouldn't have gone and seen them otherwise. So, yes, it's a bit annoying. Um, plus, you've been gallivanting around Europe again, like you do. Doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> You've just not been at work this month, uh, so I, I guess what we what, what all we can really do here is our favourite films of the month, and I think we're gonna each pick one different film because there's only been two really good films, so we may as well give them our favourite film of the month. So uh, I'll pick Kong just because I haven't seen Logan. <laughs> I have seen both, but uh, I, I will go since you're picking Kong, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I will go with Logan because just because it was so different. Um, for a comic book movie, it's very d- different from what you'd possibly expect. Essentially, a, a western and a, a film about death, dying, and growing old, um, which is something you necessarily associate <laughs> with the X Men. <laughs> yes, but obviously you you've got a real personal interest in that, haven't you? <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, it was really good with some cracking performances from Hugh Jackman and particularly Patrick Stewart. Uh, I think it was a, a really good film, um, and. and if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Having, having seen the trailer for the new Spider-Man Homecoming, I'll go and see Logan any day of the week. <laughs> it looks absolute bollocks, doesn't it? I'm looking forward to the new Spider-Man. Oh, get away, hey. man. It looks terrible. He's second only to Spider-Man in, in superheroes that I just don't get. Who, you know, who so is Spider-Man. That's what we were talking second about. You said he's second only to Spider-Man. <laughs> Sorry, second only to Superman. Spider-Man is second only to Spider-Man. They're all, and that doesn't help. They all sound the bloody same as well. Yeah, Lycra wearing bell ends. The lot of them. <laughs> I have to agree with you there. I mean, uh, sorry, that trailer just looked absolute naff. Uh, really, maybe I'm just getting old, and and I've never been a comic book fan, really, of comic book movies. But Jesus, I watched that and I thought it was tripe. Oh, pish! Yeah. Would you go so far as to give it full Scottish pish? No, I wouldn't give it full pish. I think it has to be really, really bad to get full pish. <laughs> never go full pish. <laughs> um, I I don't know. It's one of those things. I just can't. I I. Recall the excitement over the original Tobey Maguire. I say original when the Tobey Maguire era Spider-Mans, and I just watched them. I thought, well, you know, aside from Willem Dafoe eating scenery, uh, that didn't blow my frock up. Over See, this much. this is the problem I have with comic book films altogether and superhero stuff is because the the superhero has certain powers, then there has to be a bad guy who trumps that. And it's and this whole sense of you know giving into disbelief and going along with it and, and buying into the universe and all the rest of it 
what I find with it is it just gets too bloody stupid and too silly. Whereas I think simplicity would, would probably be better, a better tact. Which is probably why I'd enjoy X-Men uh, Logan more than I would this Spider-Man. It, it just looks naff to me. Well, there you well, go. I mean, I mean, I, the, I actual, the actual the actual bit with a spider in his uniform suddenly pops off and goes flying off on its own. What's that all about? Because his suit's provided to him by Tony Stark, so it's got all these gadgets built into it now. When when's I mean, Tony it, Stark ever been in a Spider-Man film? Well, of course they've, they've never been in a Spider-Man film before, but that's because you know the rights have been for different companies and this different studios. Well, now that Sony have got together with Marvel to do the new Spider-Man films. Spider-Man is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so they can use things Marvel have been yawn, doing. Like yawn, yawn, <laughs> I don't know, Phil, did you see, obviously, on Twitter yesterday, it, aside from, you know, the UK, you know, doing that minor business over Article 50, that bust of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you so, see that gif of where it, he's, it, they've, they've shopped... Cristiano Ronaldo's face into the Iron Man suit yeah. as it is with the mask lifted off but then the mask <laughs> drops down and it's the bust face on it it's absolutely fantastic oh, tw- Twitter and Facebook has been an absolute pleasure the last couple of days with the, all the different memes and stuff that have been popping up with that it's hilarious it really is what, the other one I liked was someone had taken the photo of Theresa May writing the Dear Europe you letter and then just the, what and that then just cut it so it actually looked like what it was the uh, you know the, the the letter from the zodiac killer which uh, <laughs> just, it, it just seemed quite appropriate really you know so uh yeah all good as they are after journey next week i'm looking forward to be to you know air- airports have got passive ag- <laughs> since since uh, since this whole business started airports have got passive aggressive down to a fine art because when a flight from the uk turns up they either close or all but one of the passport aisles they just file you through the non-eu nationals thing anyway just to punish you <laughs> I, I i know it was bad when it when the vote first happened but i thought it i thought all that had sort of blown over since then well it's been a while since i've traveled out it so we'll see we'll see what happens it, it's well fun. i mean steve's been all over europe this week yeah i haven't had any problems i mean i always feel a bit uh bit guilty when i get to europe now like i'm really sorry we told you all to sod off it wasn't me <laughs> but uh I had more trouble getting back into the UK than getting out of it. I'm, I've got to admit, on this last trip, because uh, it's just because they don't want through. you back, Steve. <laughs> they don't want you no. back. <laughs> they don't want me back. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it'll be interesting. <laughs> but I mean, we will have well, eventually. You know, in two years, it will be a question of we won't be able to go through the EU. It's going to be a real pain in the ass actually traveling around Europe in the future, isn't it? Because we have to go well, through. Well, there's, there's a thought. All the Remainers, when they try to get back in the UK, we can just say, no, you want to remain in Europe, stay in Europe. I still wait with interest to see what the terms of this associate citizen proposal actually is. And my gut feeling is that, obviously, it, it the nature of it, it can't be free to be an associate citizen of the EU because that rather undermines the requirements of EU membership for the people who are already EU members. So I wait with interest to see, uh, for people who, you know, keep throwing my social media into with a you know all this excitement over at the associate citizens thing i want to see how many of them actually sign up when the costs come in because it won't be free it's something that i don't even know anything about ed way, way uh, over my head for, for my sins I, I i try to keep keep tabs on these things but uh yeah all good i mean there's some other real sort of weirdness going on i mean the thing is the problem with brexit is it it the whole business distorts and you sort of avo- uh, uh, end up missing things in the news which are um you know kind of significant like two things 
I mean, I keep an eye on Northern Ireland because, you know, my wife's got family out there. Obviously, at the moment, the functioning government in Northern Ireland isn't. It's completely under civil service control. and But that doesn't seem to have made it into the news in any significant <laughs> sense. The other thing is that essentially members of senior members of the UK civil service and one or two ministers have pretty much acknowledged that there is almost nothing to stop Northern Ireland just essentially exceed not notionally becoming part of the republic but to all intents and purposes joining with the republic in a customs union sense of the word just to just to prevent their border becoming a gigantic and uncontrollable well i was going to use a word starting with cluster but you know yeah there's some real real strangeness happening and that's without you know bronze busts of christian alda christian alda ronaldo so you know all good I'll dig out some information and email it to you at your leisure. Thanks. I'll uh, I'll make sure I hit the spam button. Store it. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we were talking about. Well, I'm not sure what we're talking. What were we talking about? Favorite films, films of the of the month. So uh, favorite films of the month. Kong. Uh, it's seven out of ten. Bit of popcorn fun, and Logan's depressing as hell. But probably better. <laughs> but probably better than the new Spider-Man's going to be. <laughs> Does that sum it up? Yeah, probably. I've got my uh, ticket booked for um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at the oh, end of April. Oh, uh, end of April. That's miles away. Not a month away. Presumably you've got your Fast and the Furious ticket squared away. I well. have not yet, but I will be quite soon, yes. Fast and the Furious, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ghost in the Shell and Free Fire are the ones I want to see. Those two letters who open up this weekend that we're recording this podcast. But I'll be in Spain again, so I'll have to see them next week. So oh, I'm, I'm yeah, we really feel sorry for you as well. <laughs> Although sadly, you didn't get a red head. I was I was hoping that when I opened up these video clips, I was going to get a clip of you talking to a camera with your with your, <laughs> with your noggin being bright red like it normally is when you get a bit of sun. Expat so. skull. Uh, right. So anyway, moving on from red skulls to films coming out this Friday uh, at the cinema. Red skull was the villain in um, Captain America. Phil, there you go. Trivia for you. Uh, films opening this Friday. We've got Aftermath, which is the new film from. Arnold Schwarzenegger, as he tries to resurrect his film career, unsuccessfully, I might add, uh, in which he plays a survivor of an air crash. Uh, he um, has a connection with another survivor from, from the same air crash. Uh, I've done not much about it, but I know it's part of Arnie's attempt to do more serious stuff um, than he has been in the past. Uh, and since he's, I think he's been recently fired from The Apprentice, <laughs> then uh, um, he probably could do with a, with a hit movie because I don't think his career's been going that well since he stopped being the governor. He, he, must, he must be well into retirement age now. In fact, I'm still... He's got to be 70 odd, isn't he? Uh, must be. Ed? Hmm. Hold on, I don't know. I thought he was slightly younger than Stallone. Not that that's saying much. He's 69, dude. There you go. All right, something wrong with you and Mike, Ed. You're just rubbing against something. Sorry, yeah, I'm I'm sat in in the comfy chair, so I was uh, I was slightly reclined. How too very comfy. dare I? Yeah, don't get yeah. too reclined; you'll fall asleep. Uh, no, 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 I'll be all right. Although no, he's he's, six, he's 69. He'll be he'll be 70 on the 30th of July. All right, so he's younger than I thought he was. I thought he was in his 70s there. So it just seems to have been around a long yeah, time. He's a year younger than Stallone, and uh, and and eight years younger than Chuck Norris, who is Chuck Norris is nearly 80. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Right, anyway, so that's Aftermath, the uh, the new film from Schwarzenegger. We've also got The Boss Baby, an animated feature from DreamWorks. I saw this and... I saw this trailer. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's I, It completely lost me. Completely yeah. lost me. It looks like Look Who's Talking, but with none of the 
deft Tom. wit, flair, or, <laughs> or you know, just originality. Uh, and and also there's Going in Style, which is actually a remake of Martin Brest, who made um, Bid, uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run, among others. Uh, his first film is called Going in Style. Um, it was about three aging villains who uh, have one last caper. Uh, and my friend told me, oh, you know, they've remade uh, Going in Style. I said, oh, yeah, who's in it? And he goes, well, just try and guess if you had to cast three aging blokes, <laughs> an American movie, three aging guys, who would you cast? And I went, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Alan Arkin. And he went, yep, those are the three blokes they've cast. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> so, usual suspects, <laughs> playing aging villains, one last time. And I, I did wonder why Michael Caine wasn't... Cause he, is, is it, it, is it, it's got something to do with their pensions, hasn't it? It's seemingly they lose their pensions, do they not? Have they, have they updated it a little bit? Then? Is that I, why I, they... I, um, I think... I think it, I think it's something to do with that. I could be wrong. I could be getting it mixed up with another film. But I think it may have something to do. They got made off. <laughs> I, I think that their their pension company goes bust or goes into re- receivership or whatever, and they lose their pensions. So this this one last job is to basically get their pensions back. I think that's the plot. Because okay, in a couple of weeks' time, the Hatton Garden job comes out in the cinema, which uh, obviously is about about the Hatton Garden job. And I was staggered that Michael Caine was not in it. I was thinking like, surely his name is all over that film, aging. Yeah aging East End villain <laughs> got to be Michael Caine but obviously he was too busy making this other film about an aging villain trying to get his money back to uh, <laughs> and to, denying uh, he's ever been locked in an attic on Twitter he's finally deleted that legendary tweet um, which is very bizarre so that's his other his other major activity these days right okay so uh, let's move on our favourites during the last month in terms of Blu-rays um, I'll put my hands up now uh, the last thing I watched at home was uh, Deepwater Horizon which was more than a month ago so I'm out on this one Ed yeah uh, well I have watched it on Blu-ray so I need to stress this I we got it on through the Sky On Demand thing because my wife wanted something to, to improve her mood whilst doing her tax returns I watched Moana and I really enjoyed it um, I thought it was really good and um, can I say on a specific and personal level because these things matter to me due to the nature of my, my home life can I just say that the song How Far I'll Go is it, by roughly the distance of the earth to the sun a better song than Let It Go from Frozen and I have far less trouble with people coming in and singing that than Let It Go which is shit How did you see Moana doesn't come out till Monday? It's on the Sky. You can oh, right. get things through Sky. So, um, so I watched it as so, well last week. I watched it on US Blu-ray and thoroughly enjoyed it and thought the, it's the, a very, the rock was brilliant in it. It's a very pretty film. It's very clever. It's quite knowing. You know, it's like you, you're you're a girl with an, an animal sidekick. You're clearly a princess. I mean, I thought that was you know, yeah. most amusing, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I, that doesn't count in absolute sense the only other thing i've bought on blu-ray and watched was um star trek beyond which i quite enjoyed as well so yeah that that's that's where i sit on this but no moana that was that was really good most impressed i would say i was going to go with uh, moana as my choice for the month because i really enjoyed it and it's a stunning looking disc uh, both in 2d and 3d um for those of you still like 3d it is a great 3d disc and, and i thought that the rock was great and even though he can't really sing i think you're welcome was still a really fun song it played to his his specific talent sachet in that regard, yes. I was just trying to think if I've watched any other Blu-rays this month. <laughs> you mean Galavant and all over Europe, so no, you haven't. 
I mean, well, I mean, I don't really buy that many Blu-rays anymore, so it is a bit tricky on the Blu-ray front quite often to find something that I've got. So, Steve, um, what can we buy on Blu-ray this week? Well, in, uh, conveniently enough, Moana comes out on Monday in 2D and 3D Blu-ray. We've also got Allied, which is the Robert Zemeckis film with Marion Cotillard and Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is the least convincing <laughs> French-Canadian I've ever seen. Um, that's available on Blu-ray. Uh, it's interesting, it will be coming out on, on 4K Blu-ray as well, but not yet although it's already available in the states but uh it is coming out on blu-ray on monday um it's an okay film I, I kind of enjoyed it but i did feel like uh like i say brad pitt just didn't convince at all um his french accent's crap and um he just didn't convince as a french canadian whatsoever and also it's, it's i think it's it's grip on historical accuracy was a bit tenuous at times we also got snowden which i did enjoy that's uh obviously edward snowden a film about edward snowden by oliver stone with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the lead role. And uh, yeah, that tells the st- story of what Snowden did and why he did it, uh, I thought, quite well um, and had some interesting stuff about how this... I mean, obviously, this has come out again more recently with the stuff about the CIA using things like cameras on Samsung TVs to spy on people. Um, all that stuff really in Snowden. I mean, they, they've been doing it for a long time using phones on laptops and mobile phones. Except, I'm sorry, cameras on laptops and mobile phones, etc. And that's all covered in that. And I thought it was a very interesting film. And... Uh, Solaris is coming out on Criterion Blu-ray, which is the 1972 Russian classic, um, which is kind of always considered to be like the uh, Russian 2001. Uh, it's a very interesting film, uh, worth seeing if you haven't seen it. And also coming out this week on DVD is Wheeler Dealers, uh, season 13. Get Ed while you can. Well, uh, either that or just tune into Discovery Shed or Discovery Turbo. Yeah. Or, most or, days of the week. Or there's also Spike and it turns up on other channels as well. There is quite a, in in the same way that if you wanted to watch most of the output of the original Top Gear presenters, Dave's got you covered. This is exactly the same situation. There's yeah. no no shortage of immediate editing. It's not something I would rush out and buy on disc. I think is is what we're seeing here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's the message we're probably trying to convey. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about the CIA, you know, looking at cameras and laptops and all that, what what a boring job that must be. Yeah. I mean, sitting looking at fat people just sitting scuffing their face while looking at porn on on the internet. A horrible job that is. It's scar you for life, couldn't it? It would certainly point to to the, to, to to some of the more peculiar practices uh, that have sort of come to light about uh, members of the intelligence agencies around the world. You know, fetishes involving suitcases and all sorts of crap. So yeah, <laughs> I've got my webcam turned on at the minute. God help the person spying on me. Well, well I, I, my webcam's off, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's off. I don't know about mine. No idea. Look, if you really want to stare at me whilst I just get in a strop because uh, dra- dragging and dropping image, I, I've, much as I love this laptop, it's got a, a sort of Poundland take on the, the Apple trackpad. And it's 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 most of the time it works perfectly well but for dragging and dropping images into the AV forums CMS yeah i mean i i use the same laptop as you've got for as my calibration laptop and i have to say now and again it it has a life of its own where it'll just flick pages or it'll go back to the last thing you were on or, and i didn't want to do that i just wanted to move the cursor up <laughs> and it's just got a life of its own it really has sometimes so i take that as a small price to pay i love the keyboard and I spend most of my life typing. So, oh, yeah. I'll tell you what I'd really love is the this new keyboard on my new iMac. That's fantastic. I actually want to write stuff now. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a good keyboard makes all the difference for these sort of things. I mean, for many years, I continued to use an old 
Packard Bell mechanical keyboard, complete with um, PS2 socket instead of more modern, but simply because it had proper typewriter-like demounts to it, and it was the most satisfying thing to type on. But my wife threw it away because she couldn't stand the amount of noise it made whilst I was typing. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I've got the the old Apple keyboard, uh, the the Bluetooth one for using with my MacBook Pro, and I thought that was great for typing on. But the difference between that and this new one on there, it's just oh, it's lush. It really, it's just the key action Ed. It's just fantastic. Also, as I say, I'll I let you know by Facebook message. In a white goods update, Dyson has now been banished from the house. I took it to the recycling centre with a spring in my step, and a Miele Hoover has replaced it. And it is better in every single way. It's just night and day. Dyson advocates. I mean, I, I appreciate you and your cordless stuff. Yeah, that's all well and good. But as a device for sucking crap off carpets... Not, not even close. You need it more than I do, Ed. This is true. Yeah, the house has to be kept vaguely presentable for the number of people coming through. And I have a small muck-producing device in the form of my son. So, yeah, exactly. You know. So, I mean, I don't have and any of that. And two cats. So. You know, so. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I thought, you know, obviously, after the surprising success of the White Goods podcast... Uh, I thought I'd just update on that. <laughs> you know that it's um, the least it's the least downloaded podcast that we've done in the last. <laughs> All right then, so they're not actually. I maybe shouldn't have called it the 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 white goods edition. People in... think you actually use a white goods special. <laughs> <laughs> well, I named it the white goods special, so I think they've taken it quite literally. That oh well, that's enough for me then. <laughs> um, another one to point out is that we've got a new forum food and drink and I've got to say that this forum is far more appealing to me than the one that sits below it which is health and fitness um, <laughs> the, like, the yin and the yang there of, uh... yeah they're sitting next to each other there and you know uh, I've always been scared of looking in the health and fitness one but the food and drink I'll be straight in there and I've got to say Ed I'm w- look- looking forward to your addition in there when you add your uh, Ed's world of beer um, yeah we'll crack on with that and as I say there's a number of committed other forum members who um, have the same posh spin on alcoholism that I, I do although I need to stress once again I have not consumed an alcoholic drink yes you keep, about, you keep you, you going on and on and on about it we get it alright you're dry well done well for the moment uh, yeah. I go, when I go to Germany it, it's you know let's face it the Germans understand coffee mineral water and beer as you know well, that's, a, all, a that's, all, that's all you need to get along in life isn't it this is absolutely true but as I say it's you and, know, and, and the odd bit of German sausage well it, it was funny they, they when um, uh, the Yamaha people sent through it's like uh, are you interested in the meat or the fish option it's like where are we going Frankfurt so inland in Germany I think I think we'll go meat thanks <laughs> You know, let's play to their strengths. I've got to say, I've always, I always like the uh, the cuisine in Frankfurt. It's um, oh, the German, I, I, provided that you aren't a vegetarian, German cuisine is is pretty damn good by all accounts. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. even the um, the more traditional currywurst and that kind of thing. I'll absolutely, I love currywurst. Fantastic. Well, I mean, think, I mean, Belgian cuisine is where it's at because that sort of French. Um, French concepts with German portion sizes. Mm. Everything you could possibly want in, in a national cuisine. Yeah. Uh, and plenty of beer to wash it down with. So, you know, that's all good. Yeah, totally. So, uh, we've got a brand new forum. It's called Food and Drink. Go in there and we're going to be updating on the podcast um, probably fortnightly rather than getting Ed to drink on a weekly basis. 
However, Mark Hodgkinson has said that if we talk about beer, at least he's got something he can talk about on the podcast. So there you go. Surely this would be a point where Mark's recipes should make should should stage uh, an unwelcome comeback, a dignified return. <laughs> you know, using our new skills in video production, maybe maybe this is the point where Mark launches himself as the most unlikely television chef in the known universe. Yeah. Well, I guess you know when it comes to food and drink, it's something. Well, we all need food and we all need to drink something on a daily basis. But in terms of the hobby, in terms of uh, you know watching films and all the rest, of it, I mean, I can't sit down and watch a film without having something to drink and something sitting on my lap that I can snack on when watching films and so on. So I think it's a perfect fit for us a lot. Far better fit than health and fitness is for, uh, for the AV enthusiast out there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the hobby... I think that's a, fit, a safe bet, Phil. The hobby, you know, involves you sitting on your arse watching films and, and eating snacks. So it doesn't really fit in the health and fitness category. Yeah. No, I don't... Well, we'll see, but it's horses for courses and all that, so, you know, but... I guess no, you could watch a fitness video, couldn't you? But... <laughs> oh, I've just got this horrible... Horrible image in my head now of the EV Forum's fitness video. In in, in in a world where pornography in all of its many flavours is available, broadly speaking, why would you... I mean, it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of trying to, you know, palm one out over the H&M catalogue, isn't it? As I say, the internet continues to prove that Rule 41 is, is, is inviolate. Oh, I'm sorry if I can't get this image in my head. Avi for himself the fitness video. <laughs> well, I don't know. It could be a sleeper classic <laughs> in the horror genre. <laughs> Just everybody in their leotards. <laughs> right. Well, um, I don't want I don't want to steal Phil's thunder here, but I, I do I do need to sort of put this to bed. Are there um, any uh, exciting uh, 4K Blu-ray releases this month, Steve? Yes, there are. Very late entry because it only came out on Monday, the week we're recording this podcast. But uh, I thought the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was a fantastic Ultra HD Blu-ray. It was shot at 6.5K on the Aria Alexa and it's a 4K DI uh, with Dolby Atmos soundtrack and it looks and sounds stunning. And for those of you who think that physical media might be dead, it sold 172,000 DVD, Blu-ray, and Ultra HD Blu-ray together. 172,000 units on Monday on its well, first day. Of I release. can gu- I can guarantee that not a lot of that will be on UHD because I walked into Tesco to buy it and it was 25 quid. I'm well, sorry, you know, I'm sorry, but, that, but that's you know, that's that's just a bit too much. When the when the DVD's sitting there at, at 13.99. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to watch the DVD. Uh, sorry, I meant I meant the Blu-ray sitting there at, at, at thirteen ninety-nine. Or you can have a, a little bit more detail for twenty-five quid. Well, yeah, but this is the nature of it, isn't it? Um, you know, ultimately, it's it's very. It seems at the moment it's very much like the ambitious sort of structuring for record pricing as well. So you're you're suffering similar sort of things. You suffer for our art. I mean, I, I am a man who used to spend sixty pounds a time on a single. CLV laser disc, <laughs> but at least you got a whacking big box with that. Exactly. Yeah, you got you got something to look at and something to play with. But I don't know what it was. I just saw that and I it just I thought no. I, I'm, if it'd been twenty pounds, not a problem. I would. I think it's just this psychological thing. Twenty quid, not a problem. I'll I'll have it. But twenty five quid, it's just 
was like, so oh. 1999 is a cutoff point for you, isn't it? I have to be honest. He's, there's something about this because it's a it's a psychological breakpoint for new vinyl that I have an issue with. Uh, I mean, it's a bit more complicated because there's doubles and there's limited editions, which do sometimes sometimes sort of distort this. But if you are asking me to pay for a single 12-inch record, I generally the moment that you suddenly want more than 20 pounds for a single record then we have then we have a problem yeah i don't i don't know why it is but it's it was, you know if it'd been 20 quid i would have picked it up and wouldn't even have thought about it supermarkets take note <laughs> of course if i had as much money to burn as steve did uh, does well I said did, can, yeah. Did, <laughs> did. <laughs> can I just can I just say that as well Sainsbury's I believe Sainsbury's is um obviously they you know they made a big hoo ha about starting to sell records and you know they've stuck with it and there's actually a surprising number of the damn things in my local Sainsbury's um they appear to be just doing their best to drive me insane because what happens is I will hunt down a record not either to, for for a first pressing or a re-release pressing that's otherwise unavailable buy it and then Sainsbury's will mysteriously secure copies of it for less the following week uh, um, yeah I think they're just trolling you Ed yeah well it, it, can they just stop because it's really annoying <laughs> you see my, my Tesco you know it has UHD Blu-ray and all the rest of it no vinyl not a sign of vinyl no. in there Ed I don't believe there's UHD Blu-rays in my Sainsbury's but it's got some cracking records uh, I bought uh, Depeche Mode's Violator the other day. Yeah. Great. So, what what do you get in Weight Rose, Steve? I shop in Sainsbury's, and it's the same as Ed's. All right. Okay. So vinyl, but no. I had, so, for some reason, I had you down as a Weight Rose guy. I use Waitrose as well. I got access to all the supermarkets. Waitrose, provided you go in there with iron discipline, it's great. Good quality ingredients, and it's not significantly more expensive. The problem is that they get you when you start buying nice things. It's like, oh, posh Scotch eggs. I'll have three of those, and you know. Well, what the hell's a posh Scotch egg? <laughs> oh, they do a um, uh, they do. There's one on the deli counter. It's just a sort of. It, it's just basically a very high quality example of a Scotch egg, and it's it's really nice. It's just it's a pound a go, which is it's nice. like you went inside. <laughs> No, 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 it's not a hot scotch egg. It's still a cold one, but it's it's um, it's just really nice. I just get very excited about them. But there is a pub near me called the Betsy Wynn, which does a hot scotch egg, and it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've had one I'd, of those. I'd, Fantastic. I'd live, I'd live on, I'd live on those, except for you know, yeah. the gown. Again, if you you want to take up this conversation or these conversation points, we do have a new food and drink forum on the forum. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just to wrap up our favourite TV of the month very quickly um, I'm going to say Top Gear now right. I, I, now everything that we discussed last week Ed I don't know if you listened to the podcast last week it all ended up on the cut room floor <laughs> no, as did much of last week in fact. Mo- most of last week let's, let's say 50% because we recorded for two hours 50% ended up on the cut room floor um, so I'm going to say Top Gear I'm not going to ramble on as much as I did last week but I think there's promise there in the format. They're doing some things really, really well. They're doing other things that just really winds me up. Something rotten. The one this week was the Pac-Man thing with uh, the three cars. And, and I'm sure it was great fun for the presenters who were driving around the, this maze that was made up of uh, containers and all the rest of it. I'm sure they had a great, great fun. It was shit TV. It was really, really bad TV. I have no interest in it. And um, 
what's the viewer supposed to get out of that? It just it didn't make any sense to me. However, in the same episode, they had the Bugatti Veyron. Uh, Chiron. No, the Chiron, sorry. And that piece was fantastic. <laughs> it was really, really good. And again, it was uh, Matt LeBlanc and Chris Harris, and they, they got on really well, and the chemistry was there and all the rest of it. So it's blowing hot and cold. It's blowing a little more hot than cold for me. Um, so it's the only thing I'm interested in on TV at the minute, so that's my pick. Steve? Um, even though... I was slagging it off last week in the um, the stuff that was cut from last week's episode. You know what's depressing about last week's episode of our podcast was that that was the good fifty percent we put out. Um, but but uh, yeah, I was uh, slagging off Iron Fist and saying it wasn't up to the usual standards of Netflix uh, Netflix um, Marvel series, but actually it's kind of grown on me, and uh, I'm just finishing it off now, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Ultimately, so. Uh, not as bad as I thought it was going to be, um, and, and it is about the only thing. I mean, and also, uh, The Walking Dead has been picking up a little bit in season, in the second half of season seven, but um, yeah, it's. It, um, but for me, probably uh, I'll go with um, Iron Fist. That's being about the only TV series I have managed to watch this month. Okay, and Ed, um, Fortitude. I think uh, it's still very up and down. Still doesn't really know what it wants to be, but it's it does have moments that are brilliant and i've enjoyed it it's been fluff and it's been filler and it's been good and also special shout out i'm sure steve hopefully caught it last night master chef has kicked off again and we're at the good end of the program with delusional people who think they can cook but can't okay i think that's about it for this week uh we've almost outstayed our welcome once again so my thanks to steve withers i mean i am just a dumb bunny but we are good at multiplying and Ed Sally. We may be evolved, but deep down, we are still animals. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news, and video, and of course, leave us those five star ratings on iTunes, uh, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Yeah.